That Stack of Books, the almost end of the year edition, the penultimate edition of That Stack of Books, according to Nancy Pearl. Hi, Nancy. <laughs> Hi, Steve. I'm I Steve Scher. Oh, I know. I, do, I just don't want to. We have such fun talking about books together with now old friends and new friends coming every Tuesday at 10 o'clock to Bryant Corner Cafe that I just hate to, for, if this were the last one. And so we're going to do it next week, 23rd, if you're in town. Come on down. That's right, because we are here with a room full of people. <laughs> Nicely cued. Nicely cued on that. Nicely cued. Best books of 2014. All the lists have come out. I have made a personal commitment that in 2015, I'm going to try to read as many of these best books of 2014 <laughs> as I can, because that's how far behind I am. Your favorite book of 2014. And I know there are many, and it's an unanswerable question. Right. It, it, is an un, it is an unanswerable question. And in some ways, the whole notion of best books is so antithetical to all the way I think about reading, because I think that, that a best book is a book that you loved, or just as a good book is a book that you loved. And because I loved a book doesn't mean you'll love it. And so all these lists that are very prescriptive, they just rankle. Um, and so I tend... And, you know, actually there was a big, um, a big, big tizzy on Twitter because um, I yell at Waldman, married to Michael Chabon, whose book did not get on the New York Times 100 notable books, just more or less went ballistic on Twitter, questioning why her book wasn't included when books that got less glowing reviews were included. So... Um, that just seems petulant. <laughs> Well, she, she, it meant a lot to her. <laughs> Let me say that. Um, so, so I, you know, I'm not that I, I'm not that fond of these best best books lists and, and all the awards. And in the end, they're just really three people or ten people, whatever, getting together to say which were their favorite books. And to think that it has some broader meaning is a little distressing to okay, me. Okay, well get off your horse then and just tell me what your favorite book was of 2014. All right, well I mentioned both of my favorite fiction books, of uh, novels of 2014 uh, before many times, and one was Daniel Kelman's F. Just a marvelous, marvelous novel about three sons and an absent father. Um, it's translated impeccably from the German by Carol Brown Janeway. Um, that made the New York Times 100 best books of the year, not there. Yeah, right, right. Um, and the other one, my other favorite novel was Siri Hustvet's The Blazing World, which is the story of a woman artist. Both of these books are so intelligent and so, so nicely written. But The Blazing World is about an artist named Harriet Burden who believes that women artists... Um, do not get the respect or the gallery shows or the reviews that male artists do. So over the course of her career, she, she has asked three different men to take um, responsibility for and pretend that they were the creators of three different works of art and then sees what happens to them. It's a fascinating idea, and the book is just so wonderful. When I thought back over all the books that I had really liked this year, for fiction, those were the two best. And for nonfiction, again, I just want to say The Unsubstantial Air, American Flyers in World War I by Samuel Hines, which is the story of the young men who, um, at the st at, 
well, all during the World War One, but even before the United States got in, went to Canada, went to France, went to England to learn how to not only be in the military, but how to fly. And then were pilots in these rickety planes with death riding with them at every moment. By uh, Samuel Hines is a professor of English at uh, at uh, Princeton, and he himself was a flyer, a pilot, fighter pilot in World War II. So he really knows what he's writing about. And this book is based based very heavily on journals and letters that these these boys, and they were boys, they were undergraduates mostly, that they sent to um, their families. Having no memory, I, I don't remember the books I read, but I do see that on the New York Times list for nonfiction is Elizabeth Colbert's The Sixth Extinction and Unnatural History, and that was a memorable book for me this year. And she was a memorable person to talk to because she was not glib, and she was not happy about the state of the world. Yeah, that's what I appreciated about Elizabeth Colbert, and readers of The New Yorker will know Elizabeth Colbert, and there were excerpts from The Sixth, the sixth Extinction in The New Yorker. But um, listening to her talk, she is she is angry and she's depressed and she you know she she talks about how she is a person who always looks at the glass being half empty i can identify with that um, as one who does that as well but she, you know it's really nice to hear somebody who cares that much about her subject and yet is able to write about it um n not so much dispassionately but but um in in a way that that gives the facts, I suppose. Yeah. I, I want to come back to ask you about the year generally, how you felt about the year, especially since, as we know, in these conversations, there's been there's been a funk, a, a befunk. Nancy has been befunked. But um, uh, let me just ask. So just to go around the table with you guys. So Robin Lindley, you have a book that you uh, from 2014 that you liked. Bob Mankoff. How about never is never good for you? He's the cartoon editor of The New Yorker, and this is his memoir. And it's a fascinating story. It's not only a memoir, but a history of cartoons at The New Yorker. And his, um, his story is incredible. He had almost had a doctorate in psychology, but he said his lab animal died. And he'd been drawing cartoons since childhood, so he went into cartooning. He read every issue of The New Yorker from its inception at the New York Public Library and submitted 500 cartoons to the New Yorker. He was submitting to other magazines too before he had one accepted. And that was 1977. Now he's the editor uh, of uh, the cartoon editor of the New Yorker. And it's, uh, I think it's a fascinating history and I liked it a lot. I need to read that book because I get the New Yorker and now Bob Mankoff sends out a little video yeah. every week of interesting cartoons and interesting stories. Have you, have you watched that? Yeah, I do. He has some great ones about how people draw their cartoons and he looks at them in terms of composition and the humor they use. And, and in his book, he talks a lot about this New Yorker humor and how it's very specific, how the New Yorker was really, really gave birth to the modern gag cartoon. So it's this interesting, uh, and since he's a psychologist, he gets into the psychology of humor as well. Yeah, Mankoff is, is great. Have you, do you, do you follow him? I do, I do, and I get that daily. 
um, that daily uh, email, I guess, or it comes, I get it via Twitter, but it comes, mm-hmm. uh, it, it comes from them. And it's so interesting. Um, th- I, gosh, I, I'm sort of envious of him having read that whole cartoon oeuvre from the yeah. beginning. And, and it would be so interesting to see how it changed, whether the humor has changed it, it, over the years and how it's changed because the short stories have certainly changed yeah. from the beginning to now. Betsy Lindley, you have you have a book from 2014 that uh, jumped out at you? I've already um, presented it with Americana. You've already presented, I like that. This is very formal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still in school. <laughs> so, uh, Betsy, you talked about Americana, which was one of your favorite books, um, actually published in 2013. 2013, I think, but but out in paperback in 2014. But what I wanted to say is they're making it a movie. It's just been, um, and the star is a woman who's going to play. And if you haven't read Americana, that's a wonderful book, uh, a truly wonderful novel by Chimamanda Adichie, and it's starring Lupita Nyong'o um, as as who's going to play the main character in Americana. It's produced by her and Brad Pitt. So I can't, I mean, what a great, it'll be so wonderful. Ask that woman her name. What's your name? Laura Corby. Do you have a favorite book of 2014? Yes, I do. I brought this book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. I got this book from my sister for my 60th birthday, and I'm actually doing it. And um, it's written by a Japanese woman, and it's not so much about decluttering and getting rid of things. It's more about keeping the things that are really meaningful. And then the rest just kind of goes away and focusing on what's really important. And I've found it to be a really good book. I really like it. What have you changed as a result of that book? Uh, I've taken uh, 17 sweaters to the the Goodwill and um, all kinds of kitchen utensils that I have three of that I don't need three of. And just uh, I'm going through what she does is says don't go room by room, which is a mistake that I've made and go by a category, like pants. Take all the pants that are in any room in the house and go through that and do it by category and then break it down smaller and smaller if it's too much. So that's what I've changed. Thank you. I could could use a whisk if you have a double whisk. (laughs) I I was going to ask if you declutter your uh, book collection. I do declutter it uh, um, because you only have, I only have a limited number of bookshelves and sometimes having all those books around um, puts a, a little, um, it, it, it's a little bit overwhelming um, somehow. Uh, so I, I declutter in the sense that I just really concentrate on what I think I'm going to reread and what I haven't already memorized because I've reread it so many times over the last 50 or so years. Joella Waybright, what about yourself? Do you have a, do you have a book of 2014? I do, uh, and I hope you can help me come up with the author's name, which I can't think of right now. It's The Plover, which is a sequel to A Mink River. I, I believe it's Brian Doyle. Yes, it is. D-O-Y-L-E. Yes, yes. And uh, I guess you call it a magical realism uh, fiction, but it is just uh, extremely creative, and the characters are wonderful. The plover is actually set at sea out in the Pacific Ocean. It picks up where Mink River left off with, with the fisherman in his boat headed out to sea. Could I ask, because I'm always so interested in this, how you, 
how you happened to read um, Mink River and then the Plover? Did someone suggest it to you or you found it at uh, the library? Or well, we, uh, we are very familiar with the Oregon coast and uh, I think uh, we just saw it and picked it up. Also, it has a crow on the front, which we are very partial to crows at our house. So uh, <laughs> that's how we got started with it. And we have given many gifts of it from then on. Esther Barclay, yeah. what are you reading? Well, um, one that I heard the author honor, <laughs> interviewed on NPR, of course. Uh, his family immigrated from India to give their two sons advantages in education and all living standards. The, the first son was sort of the prince and all the family's hopes were pinned on him and he was in an unfortunate accident. It's in the voice of the younger brother and he plums these depths so deep and to me just so um, painfully honest. And I, I wanted to just say that Esther's book that she talked about um, is by Akhil Sharma. S-H-A-R-M-A, called Family Life. Do you have a book from, for 2014? Carolyn Curtis, right? Well, I don't know whether it was even published in 2014, so maybe I need some help with that, and I can't remember the author, and I'm not sure I've even got the title right. <laughs> All right, it sounds like a memorable book. Well, <laughs> the book what color is, is it? <laughs> um, it's about a, a woman in the 19th century who's... Um, very, very interested in science and biology. She's in America. She's upper class family with the biggest state. Yeah, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gilbert, Gilbert, the signature right. of all oh, things. Oh, signature of yes, all things. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, it is a wonderful book and very gripping reading, but it really, really helps you understand a lot about the desires of women who are intelligent and well-educated and how repressed they were by their own families and other people and how she somehow manages to overcome all that. Could I ask the question about books this way? If there was a trend and, and listening to you talk about that and just sort of listening in general to what the news is like these days and how the news is breaking, do you think there's been a trend this year in just that sort of awareness, recognition, and just more attention paid to how women have struggled and started to achieve? Maybe, may, yeah, I have to think about that more. Maybe that's, maybe that goes along with everything that's happening in society. You know, all that sort of renewed interest in Title IX kind of things, yeah. but taking it to a sort of literary level. Just to um, add on to what you were saying, Nancy, or Steve, I think that there's been a lot in the news, I don't know about in books, but about women in the tech world and how they are treated and how difficult it is for them. And also the whole thing about the sort of abuse, that the verbal abuse that women get in social media. Not that I know anything about it because I don't do any of it, but I read about horrendous um, abuse by men. <laughs> on social media of women. Yeah, uh, um, and also one, one thing that we're gonna see a lot of in, that we're starting to see many books about, but I think more in 2015, books about Ada Lovelace, Lord Byron's daughter, who was one of the 
um, one of the people who began, if you will, the computer revolution back in the 19th century. Um, she's finally getting some recognition for her, her role. You know, even the, the news this morning about the hacked Sony emails reveals that Jennifer Lawrence, who is every bit a superstar with Bradley Cooper and these other guys, was getting 2% less in her deals and paid less because she's a woman. And, and 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 the and the insulting responses that she got or that her agent got from the heads of the studio just I just think we're gonna see more of that revolution hey Katie have you read a book in 2014 that you're thrilled with uh, that's from 2014 I don't I don't know I, I spent the whole year abroad so I feel like I was in a vacuum of what happened in 2014. <laughs> What's your name? Marie Spence. When I was last time here, I got this out of your box. All who go, who go to not return. This uh, man grew up in a very isolated, orthodox, uh, Hasidic uh, environment in Williamsburg, in one of the and uh, and the whole point is he kind of questions his faith. It, it really, whoever is interested in a group of people who live isolated, whatever faith they profess, it's an eye-opener. Kathy, what are you reading? I'm reading uh, G is for Goshawk, Helen McDonald's book. And it was a lovely read and then reminded me of something I hadn't read for maybe 30 years, which is The Goshawk by T.H. White. And I, I like that sort of uh, the way a book pushes you onto something else that's quite wonderful. So, and then I, the question I wanted, well, I should, and I have a disclaimer too, I am just wild about the best lists of whatever, whatever, particularly the Guardian's lists, and they always start with a disclaimer. It's inappropriate to ask me to list the top 10 books of this or that, but they go on to use readers, writers, and the reviewers at The Guardian, and they have the top 10 city books and the top 10 psychological novels and the top 10 nature books. I mean, it could, it's a wonderful I, read in itself. Yeah, I, I, love, I love The Guardian, but I find The Guardian's reviews and lists so darn frustrating because so many of them aren't available here. Just yesterday I was reading like, I, I don't know, there were two books that I was reading in a Guardian article, and I thought, oh, they sound great, and then they weren't, they weren't published here. So um, I think those kinds of lists are fun when, because at NPR does, they have their book concierge, um, the 2014, where they divided them up in, in those different kinds of categories. I think they're great to find out to get some ideas about what to read next, but what we're, but what I would then, but what I would then say is, as long as you don't, as long as you don't, as long as you're not reading them because these are the best books, you know, that that someone liked them. I think that's why we all read books. I wanted to ask the two of you about this phenomena that was triggered by a book this year. So I'm sort of on topic. Um, Karen Fowler. I'm missing part of that name, the author who wrote the Jane Austen Book Club, which was just sort of a summer confection, has now written We, we Were Beside Ourselves, and yeah. it is... We Are All Beside we Ourselves. We Are All Beside Ourselves, right. which I think is just a phenomenal novel. How, what happened? 
there. Well, you know, Karen Joy Fowler started out as a as a seri- I don't want to say serious writer, but her early books were not confections. I've always looked at the Jane Austen book club as like a um, like an aberration in her writing life. Um, let's see, we're going to look up Karen Joy Fowler because there's one book that I think that that you might really um, enjoy because it's set in uh, in in our area. Uh, while she's looking, yeah, while Jessica's sorry. looking, what do you mean by confection and why is that a problem? Well, it's not a problem. It's just that the Jane Austen Book Club, if you were to describe it and tell me if you d- don't agree, it's just fun. I mean, it's fun to read. It's not going to make a difference in your life. It's not going to remain with you. It's just It's just fun. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. Nothing is required of you. Well, I, I just, I mean, I'm surprised to hear you say, well, it's not going to, I'm not going to take anything away from it or it's not going to change your life. Because I thought first and foremost, we were reading to be entranced by the author's voice and you miss no category. I'm just surprised to hear you say that. <laughs> um, I guess I, that I always thought of Karen Joy Fowler. I, there's nothing wrong with being a, a, a light writer. You know, those are confections, and are, there are many times in people's lives where that's what they want to read. They don't want to be challenged, and I certainly have those times myself. But um, I always thought Karen Joy Fowler had more to say. She wrote a book called The Sweetheart Season, which is about a woman's baseball team in, I think, the 1940s. And then... Um, Sarah Canary. Do you remember that? Wasn't that a wonderful book? That is the same Karen Joy Fowler early in her career. Uh, The way they describe it on Wikipedia is a novel concerning a mysterious nonsense speaking woman in 1873 Pacific Northwest. I mean, good for Karen Joy Fowler to make a mint from the Jane Austen book club. Good. Good. I mean, so maybe so she can write more wonderful books like we are all beside ourselves. Maureen Giacoma, what are you reading? I'm reading. I just think there's been good writing this year, like the Fowler book and Department of Speculation. I mean, the writing is amazing. And the one my favorite book is always, as Nancy knows, the one I just finished reading is my favorite book, which is Everything I Didn't Tell You. And again, I just thought the writing was so unusual, the setup, the structure of the novel and the way the story was put together. And it also includes how women were held down, how the woman was going to go to medical school and got pregnant and changed her life. And how many women was that true of, just besides the other sadness and deepness in the, in the novel. Well, the Department of Speculation was one of the New York Times' top ten books of the year, which is certainly an honor. The Celeste Ng, everything I, yeah, yeah, she pronounces it Ng. In fact, her Twitter handle is um, pronounced Ng, <laughs> um, but it's N-G is, is how she spells it. But um, that that was... Uh, that was, I think, one of the New York Times 100 best books. It's been on a lot of lists as, as, best, as a best book. And it was. It was a wonderful read and very, very, very nicely written. And, I, and she's very young, so we probably have a lot, lot more coming from her. I'm intrigued by what you said about great writing. What, what makes you say that? 
the emotion in it, the, the way it moves. Um, again, somebody from Ohio last night said to me, my best favorite book this year is The Boys in the Boat. The writing is so wonderful. And I thought, okay, in Ohio, they think this rowing, you know. There, there's been some good writing. I, I believe I that's been option for the movies as yeah. well. Yeah. So. Yeah. You should be you should be uh, pumped up. A lot of good writing this year. I did you find it? You you found some of it. I did. I oh yeah. I mean that's why I just love these Tuesday mornings here. I mean just so lovely that you're all here and talking about books. I just feel so happy. I'm not. What are you reading for 2014? Well, for 2014, it's difficult because I retired earlier this year, so I was catching up on that stack of books that have been growing for several years. I think the one book that was published in 2014 you mentioned before, and that was uh, The Sixth Extinction, which was a book club selection for our, my book group and generated quite a bit of discussion. So that was, uh, if, if not, not my favorite book because it was so depressing to read, but a really important book. Kate Riley, 2014 book? Favorite book in 2014 was the third in the Sean Duffy series by Adrian McKinty called In the Morning I'll Be Gone. And I, I heard about this series from Nancy on one of the talk shows. And it's um, a murder mystery that's set in Belfast in the early 80s. And Sean Duffy is the protagonist. He's the investigator. And what I like so much about it was that you got a feel for what it was like to live there. It's, it's really um, dense in the context of life in Belfast. And, and then there's kind of the standard horrible things that happen and he discovers it. But for example, he always checks under his car to see if there's a bomb. And he's a likable character. You really come to kind of identify with him and hope he makes it through the day because he has kind of a lighthearted point of view about life in Belfast. And, Thank you for mentioning it. You know, those Adrian McKinty uh, mysteries, if you're a mystery fan uh, and you like historical, especially historical mysteries, this is set in Belfast at the height of the religious conflict between the IRA and the, um, uh, the Belfast Protestants, the Irish Protestants. So um, there is, just as you said, there's just um, so much history and so much sort of real, real events. You get a sense of what life was like at that time. And remember, this was a period when um, the IRA was, uh, many of the members of the IRA were in prison, in the Mays prison, starving themselves to death. Um, that takes place in the first book. The first book is called The Cold, Cold Ground. And I highly, hi, I mean, I cannot recommend that book too highly. And good news, there's a fourth one coming out. Well, the thing that um, convinced me that this really was an authentic description is that he writes about his character living on this street that he actually grew up on. So it was a neighborhood that, that he was born and raised in. Hey, uh, Jessica. Did you find a book for 2014? Yes, I picked up on the little bookshelf Ada's Algorithm, and it was a really good biographical novel that was researched about Ada and how she grew up and basically how she was famous before she was famous because of her father, Lord Byron, which we already talked about. It was an interesting book just to see like 
how her relationship began with Charles Babbage and how, how they created the first computer program. We're seeing a return of history again, too. I mean, not just this group, but there's a lot of people focusing on history and lost souls from history. Barbara? Can I add a plug for the little free libraries where I picked up a brand new copy of The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt? It's, and it was an amazing book, but, but the fact that I found it in the free library blew me away. I, uh, you, you do like mysteries, do. Nancy Pearl. A lot of you do. And I was just curious. We're not calling it the best, even though Adam Woog in the Seattle Times did say that. But I was just wondering if uh, any of these books are uh, books you've read or books that are interesting to you. Did you ever read Red Joan by Jenny Rooney? Or um, I, t- I, I tried to read Red Joan by Jenny Rooney. I'm, now this is going to show my, um, my funk because I'm going to have to say for all of these, um, I tried to read them. Uh, Red Joan is, uh, was very interesting to me because I'm always interested in the Cold War spies, the Cambridge spies. And this is a novel about a woman who was one of those spies who in her late 80s, early 90s, is finally unmasked by the government and is telling her story. So I was predisposed to really like this book, but it was one of those I just could not get in into. And I'm blaming it on myself, not on the book. Yeah, it's all on you. Now, I, I, I'm reading An Officer and a Spy by Robert Harris about the Dreyfus Affair, but fictionalized. How, yeah. now, did you talk about this? I, I didn't talk about it. I, I, I talked about it to my... Um, ophthalmologist who's also who's also a mystery reader <laughs> and who likes Robert Harris. I, I, um, Officer and a Spy is about the Dreyfus case in France and I and I and again because I was a history uh, uh, major um, I really was predisposed to in, like this one as well and plus I didn't know as know as much about the Dreyfus case as I as I felt like I should. Did you know it all? <laughs> well, because it was a big media case, too, and so yeah. we had to study it in history of journalism, as a matter of fact, back in the day. But then, but then I, for some reason, I put the book down, and I just never was compelled to pick it back up. Because huh. well, you are a mystery fan. Have, have any of the new ones that have come out, uh, and not, maybe not in this list, but overall, any new mysteries that gotten your... That's why you go back to that uh, Australian. That's why I go back to Peter Temple. <laughs> Write his name down. Mystery people, you've got to read Peter Temple, and you have to start with Broken The Broken Shore. Which you did you did you like that one? No, but it's certainly on my list. Okay, all right. Well, I can't wait till somebody reads it so we can so we can talk about it. But The Broken Shore or or any of the Jack Irish series, um, which are made into which which are available at the library at Seattle Public Library and many other libraries as DVDs uh, so you can play them and I, I think I said this but I went through a period where first I would read all of the Jack Irish four books and then I would watch all the videos and then I would go back and read them again and then I would watch all the videos It was not a good time all right I, I do have one one question for for Robin there because that Roz Chase book uh, that has been chast, Roz chast, because she is not chaste, but she is chast. The, the Roz chast book was a very popular book, and she is a remarkable cartoonist, and Bob Mankoff has talked about her a lot. Can't we talk about something more pleasant by Roz chast? It's a graphic memoir, which is kind of unusual, and... Uh, 
you can, uh, it's lavishly illustrated, but it's the story, it's poignant. It's the story of Roschast and caring for her aging parents. He talks about everything from uh, decluttering their apartment and moving them to facilities for aging people to uh, their ultimate demise, both in their 90s. Uh, and she's a real favorite of Bob Mankoff, of course. And this has uh, made a lot of the best uh, books of 2014 lists, and Nancy probably knows about it. Yeah, I love that book. I think anybody who's dealing with or is becoming an elderly parent um, would enjoy that book. What I was just so pleased by is that it was one of the finalists for the nonfiction Pulitzer, and I think and I, I, I think that's very um, unusual um, for a graphic memoir to be part of that. Another blow struck for the graphic novel and the graphic memoir and the cartoon. So I say yes to all those because I have spent a good deal of my year reading cartoons. It's inspiring and she includes a lot of documents and photographs as well as her own drawings in the book and talks about her experience in getting lawyers and these end-of-life documents and making arrangements at different facilities for care and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of practical wisdom and dark humor in the book. So. So for people who really love um, best books list, there's um, a, a man named, um, oh, I don't even know what his real name is, but he does a blog called Large Hearted Boy. So if you Google Large Hearted Boy, one word, and best of list, he has aggregated every best book list in existence into one long alphabetical list. And I, I just, I, I found this um, just very, very interesting. Don't we call that a book catalog? Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. And this is the seventh year he's done it. So, um, so take a look at that. I mean, I was looking for a theme. I've been look, I always look for themes because, you know, I know there aren't any, but uh, I'm a human, so I make patterns. Uh, Anything you're looking for? You mentioned it a little bit. Anything you're looking for in 2015? Because that's what I would like to ask you next week. But are you seeing some things? Yes, I've started making a pile of books already that we can talk about in 2015, and um, and and so yeah, let's do that. Or what? Or what kind of what book you're looking for? You know, what kind of book you're looking for? What would be your? I think your your ideal read in 2015. That's good. Bring that. Bring that to the conversation, to the table. Uh, Katie Sewell, Nancy Pearl, Chris and Sarah from the Bryant Corner Cafe, and to all of you, thank you very much. Thank you.